All right, here we are, week two of Share the Love. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go watch it online so that you're fully up to speed on everything and that everybody's on the same page. And we've been talking about what it looks like to share the love of Jesus as individuals and as a church. And like we talked about last week, it's really cool when we can come together and do things together that we could never do or probably would not be able to do individually. And every week in this series, as we are challenging you individually to share the love through serving and giving, we as a church are going to be doing the same thing. And we're going to highlight each week a special opportunity of generosity that we have had as a church and that we are able to take advantage of because you give, because you do what you do, we're able to do something together that we could not do individually. Last week, we talked about how we were able to be a big blessing in helping the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. So you can go watch last week and get caught up on what we did for them. Let me tell you about another opportunity we've had that we've taken advantage of, and it involves an organization in Guilford County called Lot 2540. So let me read a little bit about that and just kind of bring you up to speed on what we've been able to do. Lot 2540 is located near our Oak Ridge location, and it serves families and individuals facing crisis situations who are in need of food, shelter, and clothing. Their desire is to see people move away from poverty by creating opportunities for change and advancement with a dream to equip people with resources, and this is the really cool part, even job skills that will help them move beyond their immediate needs. So I, I love the, the holistic approach there. We're not just helping people with an immediate need. We're empowering them going forward. And so we have teams of people that serve weekly. We have volunteers that serve breakfast there on Saturday mornings for the people that arrive for assistance. But we noticed uh, that they have a bigger need. They have a, a larger need than just that. They have a classroom in which they do a lot of this training in that was poorly equipped, poorly equipped, ill-equipped in order for them to do what it is they're hoping to do. So what we decided to do was give them a, a, a gift, a financial gift that allows them to outfit the room completely with all the technology, all the computers, all the resources they need. So we gave them a $7,500 gift as a church to be able to get them everything they need. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, you ought to clap for that. And it's not yay us, it's yay that. Yay, look what we can do together, what can be done when we all do this sharing the love thing collectively. And so what a blessing it is to be a part of Lot 2540. And by the way, one of the things I love about our church is that we come alongside organizations in our community that are already helping people and we help them do what they do better. And I know the thinking in, in some churches in you know, years, in the church in general, you know, for decades has been, hey, let's do our own version. Let's do, you know, we'll do a, a food pantry here. We'll do clothes closet here. We'll do all that here. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, some churches do that and they do a great job of it. But our philosophy is we're a church, we're a local church, and we're not equipped to do that 
the way it needs to be done. But there are so many organizations that are already doing that so very well. It's why they were created. So our job as a local church is to make them better. Our job as a local church is to cheer them on and give them resources and to volunteer and to help them do what God has put them here to do better. And that's why we get involved with organizations like Lot 2540 and Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. And next week, I'll share with you something else that we're doing together collectively as a church that we can celebrate in generosity as we share the love. Okay, I want to tell you something about yourself (laughs) that may surprise you. I want to tell you something about yourself that you may not know, and I know it. I want to tell you something about yourself that after I tell you, you may even have a hard time accepting it. It's true, but it's true. It's true. I hope you're ready. And here it is. You are absolutely loaded. You are loaded. Yep. Like me? Yep. You. Well, you don't know my situation. I, no, no. You are loaded. Just hang with me. Do you know that over one billion people on this planet live on less than $1 a day? One billion people plus live on less than $365 a year. Many of you pay more than that in one month on a car payment. Here's another way to look at it. I'm telling you, you're loaded. Let's say you're in this room and you are living at the poverty level. You're in the United States, you're an American, and you live at the poverty level. As an American living in the United States, living at the poverty level, do you know that still you're in the top 15% economically of people in the world? At the U.S. poverty level, 85% of the people in the world are worse off than you. You're loaded. Here's another way to look at it. If you have two cars and a mortgage, and I'm not saying if they're all paid off, but if in your name, if you've signed the dotted line on two cars and a mortgage, you are in the top five wealthiest percentage. Top 5% in the world. You're loaded. Now here's what's interesting. You probably don't feel like you're loaded. You're like, really? I would think being in the top 5% would feel better than this. (laughs) Right? You probably don't feel loaded. You know why you don't feel that way? And you know why I don't feel that way? It's because we compare ourselves to people who have more than we do. That's what comparing is, right? Well, they have two. I've only got one. Well, theirs is newer. Mine's old. You know, that's bigger than mine. You know, my house is smaller. You know, that, that's a car. It has more features, and I have to crank mine by hand. <laughs> right? Their job is, mine is not. They have so many more skills than I do. They know so much more than I do. They have so much more time than I have. We're constantly comparing ourselves to people with more. And when you're constantly comparing yourself to people with more, which that's what, we, you know, we never compare ourselves to people who have less than us, Right? No wonder we don't feel loaded. And listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That is not my agenda. I am not trying to lay guilt on top of you because I know that's why you came to church, right? It's to feel good and bad, you know, bad about yourself. And man, no, I just want you to know that you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility and we have a responsibility. You know why? 
We're loaded. Loaded. Now, in week one of the series last week, we had this aha moment. This aha moment that is a huge statement. And this is what we learned together, that the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. That's it. Not what I know and you know, not what I believe and you believe. All that's important, it has its place, but it's not the most important thing. Not our theology, not even what we say about God. No, the most important thing is your faith in God being expressed and lived out in love. Not your faith and my faith that we just have and we enjoy until Jesus comes back. Not my faith and your faith that we just enjoy because I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed. God's good. No, that, that's not the most important thing. Most important thing, the only thing that counts is that faith you have in God living itself out, expressing itself in love, which means if we're not expressing it through love and sharing it through love, we're missing what's most important. And we talked about how in the local church context, the primary two outlets for sharing the love is through serving, meeting needs, and giving, giving financially. And it's so clear throughout the scriptures that these are the most tangible, they're not the only outlets, but they're at least the most tangible ways that we express our faith through love. You and I are loaded. And we share the love of Jesus not because of what we have, but because of who we are. Or let me say it like this. We share the love of Jesus because of who we are. We are followers of Jesus. That's just what we do. It's what we've been called to. We don't share the love of Jesus because of what we have, how much stuff we have. But, by the way, we have so much. And again, you probably are resisting that, and you're like, no, nah, I don't know, not me, I don't have that much. Well, that's such short-sighted thinking. Because you and I have all received so much more than we will ever, ever, ever be able to share. I mean, just, just, just take Jesus alone, okay? Just, just what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he gave his life for you and me and all my sins and all your sins. Just that right there alone. If nothing else happened good to you, then that right there, you are indebted for life. You have received more than you'll ever be able to share through the forgiveness and love of Jesus. I mean, if that was it alone, on the basis of the forgiveness of the Savior, Jesus Christ alone, we are loaded with the things that matter the most. But then, get this, on top of that, and this is true for Christians, especially Christians, but it's even true for non-Christians. Non-Christians are loved more than they realized. And all of us, not just have been recipients of the love of Jesus, but we've been blessed so much. Blessed. And I'm talking about blessings that's so much more than, than money, so much more than dollar signs, because when I think blessings and you think blessings, most of the time we think of stuff, right? We think, we think and what we have and, and the stuff we've accumulated. And, but you know this. You're, you're very intelligent people. You know and, I, and we talk about this, that the greatest blessings in life cannot be measured or bought. 
with money. Right? You hear people say that all the time. Well, this is something money can't buy. And you're exactly right. The greatest blessings cannot be measured with money. And you and I are loaded with them. Here's something I learned recently. I've been teaching the scriptures for a couple of decades. And I never realized this. That in the New Testament alone, this excites me, this is amazing. In the New Testament alone, 112 times in the New Testament alone, we are referred to, the followers of Jesus are referred to as being blessed. And not one single time is that in reference to any material possessions. I'm going to say that again. 112 times, New Testament, we are identified as being blessed. And not one single time is that tied to any amount of material possessions. Which is interesting because that's how you and I, that's usually our starting point. How blessed we are. How blessed we feel is based upon what we have or what we don't have. Guys, to be honest, we're, we're responsible to do something with all these blessings. Here's the problem we face. My problem, it's your problem. You want tell what your problem is? We are content to be consumers. We're consumers and we're content to be consumers. Now you may not feel like a consumer and you may not see yourself as a consumer, but you know why you don't see that and feel that? Because it's normal to you. It's common to you. It's just a way of life. You consume, you consume, you receive, you receive. And when you don't receive it, you take it, you take it. You, we are content to be consumers and church people are no different. We are spiritual consumers. We come, we sit and we just take it all in. Oh, this is so good. I feel so blessed. I am so blessed. And you just take it all in, take it all in, receive it all. Just bring it my way. And we're content way too much of the time to let it stop with that. That's one of the reasons God challenges us and commands us to serve. That's one of the reasons why God challenges us and commands us to give because it fights the consumer mentality. Here's what happens when you live with a consumer mindset. When you live with a consumer mindset, the end result inevitably is you get distracted with all you don't have. Because you're a consumer. You become focused on what you don't have and what you can't do. And I hear it. I hear it all the time. And maybe you feel it. Maybe you've said it. Oh, I wish I could serve. I would love to serve. I wish I had the skills they have. And if I did, I would serve. I wish I had the ability that they had. And if I did, and if I had more ability, I would serve. And I wish I had the time. Oh, Lord knows my heart. Oh, I'm so busy. <laughs> so busy. I wish I had the time. If I had all the free time that they had. Oh, I would love to serve. I would love to serve. But I can't. Oh, I wish I could give. I wish I could give financially. I wish, I wish. I mean, if I had the job that they had, if I was pulling in the quan that they were pulling in, man, if, if, I, if I had what they had, you know what I could do? That's why I play the lottery. I, I'm telling you that right now, Pastor. I'm just telling you. And I keep playing it because when I win, when I win, I'm going to help so many people.
I wish I could, but I can't because I don't have enough. That's the mentality of a consumer. And when I get sucked into consumer thinking and you get sucked into consumer thinking, we get distracted by not having enough. All right, here's the challenge. You and I, and I'm going to tell you what it is, and then I'm going to show you where this comes from. Jesus is very clear about this. You and I have got to make a change with the question that we're asking. Because as your consumer, you're constantly asking the question, why don't I have, why don't I have this, why don't I have time, why don't I have skill, why don't I have ability, why don't I have the money, why don't I have what they have? We need to change our thinking and question from why don't I have to why do I have? Change it from why don't I have to simply why do I have? I mean, what if we looked to God and said, God, why did you give me this? See, most of our prayers are, God, why don't you give me? And we fill in the blank. We usually fill our prayers asking God to give us what we don't have, but we are convinced we want or need. It's almost insulting to God. Do you not think God knows that? Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that you were in need. We'll see this in a couple of weeks. He already knows your need. Before you even come to him, he knows. So we consume our asking of God to, God, why don't I have this? When I think the question, no, I know the question should be more, God, why do I have these things? And what do you want me to do with them? How do you want me to share your love with them? How do you want me to take what you have given me, what you have entrusted to me, and how do you want me to serve with it? And how do you want me to give because of it? That's a different way of thinking. What do you want me to do with what you've given me, God? What do you want me to do? Why do I have these things? Jesus told a parable, one of his most famous parables, actually. And a parable is a story with a spiritual meaning. That's all it is. But they're powerful. Jesus told lots of stories. He was the supreme storyteller, the greatest storyteller that's ever lived. And so he tells the story to illustrate to us and to his audience then how God sees this issue and what God expects of us. So let me read to you the story. You can follow along on the screen, and we'll see what this is saying to us. Jesus tells the story. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story. So he's getting ready to say, this is, what, this is how God sees things. This is how God thinks. The kingdom of heaven is like this. A man is going on a long trip. He called together his servants, and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one dude, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. Now, do you get what's going on? The guy, the owner, the master, he's leaving on a trip, and he wants his stuff to be managed well while he's gone. So he gives five bags of silver to one guy, two bags of silver to another guy, and one bag of silver to yet a third guy, a third servant. Interesting, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on this, but this is noteworthy. We'll come back to it at another time, and I know you'll be excited about it. Uh, he divided up according to their abilities to handle it. 
It could be you have what you have because God knows you can't handle any more than what you have. He said the kingdom of heaven is like, in other words, this is how God thinks about things. This is how God sees things. If you're frustrated that you don't have more, maybe the question should be, God, why, why am I not trustworthy with more? How have I not proven myself trustworthy with what you've already given me? And what changes do I need to make? He said, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> then he left on his trip. Okay, so this is what happened. Let me summarize what happens next, and then we'll pick up the story. The guy who had five bags of silver while his boss was gone, he invested it, and he turned the five into ten. He earned five more. So he gave him five, he invested it, and turned it into ten. He doubled it. That's great. The guy that was given two did the very same thing. He invested it, and he doubled it. Doubled it from two to four. And then the guy that had one got a shovel, dug a hole, and buried it, his one, to save it. We're not quite sure, you know, all the reasons behind all of that, but that, that's what happened. So the master returned. He came back from his trip, and he surveyed what had happened while he was gone. Evidently, he'd been gone a while. And to the servants that were given five and two and doubled their with their investment, doubled what they were given. This is what he told them. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate good times. Come on. Right? Let's celebrate together. And then there was a party. He was so proud of them. You took what I gave you and you did something great with it. And now, get this, because you were faithful with what I had given you, and it was just a small amount, it wasn't astronomic, but because you saw that you were loaded with opportunity and loaded with responsibility and you lived that out, I'm getting ready to load you down with even more. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything, but most of you here would raise your hand and say, you would hope that God would bless you with more right? Well, that's got everything to do with how faithful you are going to be with what you've got right now. So he said, guys, let's celebrate. You did a great job. Then he turned to the dude that took his one and dug a hole and hit it. And he called him wicked and lazy. Whew. I mean, come on. That's a little harsh, right? I mean, bless his heart. Jesus is telling the story. I didn't tell the story. Wicked and lazy. And he said, dude, you could have at least invested this by a little bit by putting it in the bank. And, and if it were in the bank while I was gone, he could have gotten a little interest. At least, at least if you were going to put it somewhere and leave it, put it in the bank and let it draw some interest while I'm gone. You were asked to invest this for me, to take care of it for me while I was gone. He was very frustrated with this servant. Then he ordered Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. Here's why. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Whew, heavy story. So true to life. And you're in that story somewhere. And I'm in that story 
somewhere. You get to decide which servant you're going to be. We're not sure why this guy hid the one bag of silver. We're not told. But I think we would be all safe in assuming it had something to do with fear. Fear of losing the one thing, the precious thing that he was given. Fear of somebody taking it. Fear of somebody stealing it. Fear of something. And so maybe out of fear, he hid it just to protect it so he could give it right back. But that was not why he was entrusted with it. He wasn't entrusted with it to just have it. He was entrusted with it to do something with it. There are many reasons why we do nothing and do very little with what God has entrusted to us. But most of those reasons have something to do with fear. What if I don't have enough? What if I can't pay the bills? What if I don't have enough time? What if I wear myself out? What if I don't have enough for me and mine? What if, what if, what if, what if? And most of that swirls around the issue of fear. But see, we fail to realize that we have what we have, not so we have it. We have what we have so that we will do something with it. And so what Jesus was saying here was the point of the story was not what they had. The point was what they did with what they had. Let's talk about your net worth a second. Boy, I bet you didn't think about we were going to talk about that in church. Let's talk about your net worth. Let's talk about how your net worth is looked at differently from the viewpoint of culture versus the viewpoint of God. He's like, God looks at my net worth. Okay, no, hold on a second. Hold on. I'm not talking about your value as a human being. Yes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not about your value as a human being. God loves you regardless of who you are or what you've done. God loves you more than you can imagine. I'm talking about your net worth as it relates to whether or not and how you are living out the purposes for which God put you on this planet. And the purpose of for which God has given you what he's given you, your net worth, how God sees it versus how culture sees it. In culture, your net worth is calculated according to what you have, right? That's how, they, that's how your net worth, the, the more stuff you have, the more your net worth, the greater your investments, you know, the, the, your portfolio, your stuff, the things that you have determine how much net worth you have. So the goal then is to accumulate more stuff. Because the more you have, the greater your net worth is. That's the way the culture sees it. Now, God sees it differently. God doesn't calculate your net worth based upon what you have. God calculates your net worth based upon what you do with what you have. And so the goal then is not to just accumulate more. It's to maximize what you already have. And so based upon that definition, how do you think God calculates your net worth? What do you think God thinks of your net worth? What do you do with what God has given you? Are you maximizing it? Or are you just kind of holding on to it, waiting until somebody gives you more? Until you get a better job, until you get more time, until you get a raise, until you develop some more skills, until you whatever, you fill in the blank. And God's like, I don't know what you're doing. What are you doing with what I've given you? 
Because here's the deal, and this is a great realization. I, I hope you come to it with me. But God is simply not impressed by what you have or how much you have. Did you know that? God is not impressed with what we have and how much we have. Do you know why God's not impressed? Because he gave it to us. God doesn't call the angels over. Angels, two, four, and number 673. Come here. I'm sure they have names, but it'd be easier to number them, I guess. You, 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 come here. Look, look. Look at the car they're driving. Isn't that awesome? Not impressed. Can you, did you see the house they're living in? Isn't that a great neighborhood? It's just locations, everything. I'm just telling you, Gabriel, location is everything. <laughs> Look at their job. I'm impressed. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Woo! No, God doesn't do that. He's not impressed with your stuff. He gave it to you. I think it might be more true that God would call the angels over and say, can you believe that's what they decided to buy? Can you believe they did that? I can't believe they decided to do that with what I entrusted to them. Now listen, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. My name's not even Debbie. <laughs> I just want us to think. Some of you are sitting there thinking, are you trying to tell me God does not want me to enjoy life? Ah, oh, there's one in every crowd. No, I'm not telling you God does not want you to enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with the car. There's nothing wrong with the house. If you're being faithful with what God has entrusted to you. And we're great at, you know, <laughs> convincing ourselves that our situation is different. Nothing wrong with you enjoying life. However, here's the question. What brings you joy? What makes your life enjoyable? More stuff? Because if you are the kind of person that joy is increased and enjoyment is increased in your life just by the accumulation of more things and more stuff and more money and bigger, better, nicer, newer, then boy, that ride's gonna be temporary for you. And you're gonna be constantly chasing that because your stuff's gonna go away, it's gonna break, it's gonna get old, it's gonna decay. I mean, you're gonna be chasing that train all day long and for the rest of your life. If what brings you joy is more stuff, then yeah, you probably got a beef with what Jesus is teaching here. However, what if what brought me joy and what brought you joy was not more stuff, but the opportunity to do great things with the stuff that we already have? And, and what if what brought us joy and increased enjoyment in life that made us go, I'm so glad to be alive, I love my life, is that we were discovering ways to be faithful with what God has already entrusted to us. You know what the side benefit of living like that is? The master then looks at you and me and goes, since you were faithful and maximized what I've given you, I'm gonna load you down with more because now I know I can trust you. Maybe you don't have more because God can't trust you with what he's already given you. You don't serve with it now. You don't give now. So why would God give you more to be disobedient to him with? We still friends? God wants 
to see what you will do with what you have. Will you use it for the purposes for which he gave it to you? Please understand, God has not given you what you have just for the heck of you to have it. Just so you can say it's mine, because really it's not. It's all his. The question should be not why don't I have, why don't I have. It should be, God, why do I have these things? Why have you entrusted these things to me? So here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge. I want you to go home, and I want you to look around and ask yourself and ask God, why do I have all this? Resist the temptation to go, why don't I have this? I, I've worked so hard and I still, I still don't have it, God. They don't work half as hard as I do. They don't love you as much as I do. And they have this and they have that. I don't get it, God. I've worked so hard and I just can't seem to get it. No, don't, don't do that. Look at all your stuff. Look at your house. God, why do I have this house? Maybe you wish you could dig a hole and put your house in it. Right? Maybe you're not impressed with your house. Maybe it's not the house you wanted. But start with, God, why did you give me this house? This place of living. This apartment. Look at your cars. And maybe your gut feeling is, why do I have this car? <laughs> right? But switch that. Say, God, why do I have this car? Why have you blessed me with this transportation? Go to work this week. Ask the question, why do I have this job? Why do I have this job? Not, why don't I have their job? Why don't I have that job? Why don't I have the job I always wanted to have? And by now, all my friends I graduated with, they all have the jobs that I went to school for. It's, God, I have a job. You know what? A lot of people don't. A lot of people would love to have the job I have. So God, why did you give the job to me? What do you mean to do with it today? How can I maximize the job I have, God? How can I maximize the house I have? How can I maximize the car I have? Okay, let's take it away from stuff. Look in the mirror. Say, God, why did you give me the skills that I have? Because see, some of you think you're skillless. No, everybody's got skills. Everybody's got skills. Your job is to discover what your skill is, what your talent is, what your gift is. Ask God, why did you give these to me? Don't, don't say, God, why don't I have what they have? Why, don't, why can't I do what they do? Why don't I have the opportunities they have? Because God has given you what he has given you because he has an opportunity with your name on it. And he's waiting for you to discover that opportunity and be faithful with it. Because God's not about to give you more until you prove that you're faithful with what you've got. So ask the question, why do I have it? Look at your relationships. God, why have you blessed me with these people in my life? Like, not why don't I have different people? We all have those moments, right? I need some new people. <laughs> no, you think, God, why do I have? Why do I have? Why do I have? Why do I have? Log on to your bank account. Yeah, it's going to get personal. Log on to your bank account. Or for some of you who are using Morse code, open your checkbook. And look at it and say, God, why do I have? 
Not why are there not more zeros on the left side of the decimal, but, but why do I have what I have? And ask yourself, are you being faithful with the, in your mind, the little, even though you're loaded, and even if you're at poverty around here, you're 85% better than everybody else in the world. Okay, I'll just go with you for the sake of argumentation. What little you have. Which guy are you in the story? Are you the guy with the two and the five? Or are you the guy with the one? And out of fear, you're just kind of holding on to it with a white knuckle grip, just trying to make sure you got it at the end of the rainy day. Are you willing to invest it through serving and giving as God has commanded us to do? Because when we do, the cool thing is, God gets to then say, because you were faithful with the one, because you were faithful with the two, because you were faithful with the five, I get to load you down with more. You thought you were loaded before. You ain't seen nothing yet. Now that I know I can trust you, here we go. I don't know about you, but I want to be trusted, right? Let's just be honest. I want God to see me as trustworthy. And whatever God decides to give me, I want to be faithful with that. And I'll leave the results up to him. Let's leave the results up to him. Why do I have? Why is this so important? Because just one more time, I got to remind you. Because see, guys, the only thing, the only thing, the only thing that counts is how you take this faith of yours and express it through tangible acts of love. Not intentions of love, but tangible actions and behaviors of love. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for this very clear, pointed teaching and reminder. Thank you for the story that Jesus told. We're in this story. May we decide to be the servant with five, the servant with two, and invest what you have given us through being faithful to serve and give through the context of the local church so that we can prove ourselves trustworthy. And for those of us that are distracted by wanting more, then the best way to get more is to be faithful with what we already have. But God, may we check our motives and make sure we're wanting to fulfill your purposes and we're not secretly trying to live for our own. For every single person in this room who is loaded and they kind of know it, they wouldn't say it out loud, but they know in comparison to most people, they have a lot. Help them to be really honest about why you've given it to them to begin with and whether or not they're being faithful. Not expect more. In fact, God they may need to be concerned about losing what they have, what we have, if we're not being faithful with it. And Lord, for every single person in this room that's convinced they don't have much, and maybe in the world standards, they don't. Even they are so loaded beyond what they have seen up until this point. And help them to know how to be faithful with what, you, what little you've entrusted to them so that then they're in a position for you to entrust them with more. You are such a faithful God, such a faithful God. Thank you for being so faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.